This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. As we get closer to the tax deadline, the end of April for most of us, it's always a good time to start thinking about the road ahead. And especially with a new federal budget on the way, with some potential changes on how we'll be taxed, it's good to have an expert on your side to protect what you've worked so hard to achieve. I'm Martin Strong, and on Vancouver Consumer this afternoon, we'll get some great advice from the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning. That is coming up next, but first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. A Vancouver cyclist is not too happy with a $3,700 bill he got from ICBC. This was after he was hit on his bicycle while riding on a bike route last summer. Ben Bolliger says he was on his bike on his way to get some lunch at Granville Island when he was hit by a driver who he says ran a stop sign. The collision sent Ben flying 14 meters, left him with a bunch of serious injuries, like a broken hand and a broken foot. He says he was eight months into his rehab when he got a letter from ICBC demanding $3,752.01. The letter says uh, that Ben was driving an uninsured vehicle at the time of the collision, meaning he has to pay for the insured driver's repair claim, or at least some of that claim. And Ben calls it a punch in the gut. ICBC would not address the specific case, but said, quote, if a party is assessed as partially responsible for a claim, they could be responsible for some of the damages to the vehicle. But Vancouver lawyer Kyla Lee says cases like Bolliger's are becoming more common now that cyclists and other uninsured individuals do not have the ability to sue ICBC or insured drivers under the new no-fault insurance model. Your BC Hydro bill should get slightly lower as of yesterday, but only slightly. Uh, the lowest lower rates will only last for about 12 months. Hydro says the commission, the BC Utility Commission, has given interim approval to an average 1.4% reduction. The cut is part of a three-year rate application for Hydro that includes a 2% rate hike next year, followed by a 2.7% rate hike in 2024. So overall, it works out to about 1.1% increase every year over three years on average, marking a period of the lowest rate increases in BC over the past 15 years. Uh, It's now a bit easier to cross the line to get some of that cheap American gas, or at least cheaper American gas. As of yesterday, you won't need a COVID-19 test to get back into Canada as you cross the border. Travel agents say it's great news, and they've seen a big surge in bookings of trips down south. Unvaccinated Canadians and other travelers who are exempt from the vaccine requirement will still need to provide a negative test or evidence that enough time has passed after an infection to enter the country. And this is interesting. Scientists say they have finally assembled a full genetic blueprint for human life, adding the missing pieces to a puzzle that they nearly completed two decades ago. The previous effort was incomplete because DNA sequencing technologies were more limited at the time. And scientists say uh, this could mean some big, big future medical discoveries. 
This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, it's a look at estate planning, and it's not just for people who are getting ready to die. It's for everybody, and it could save you and your family a lot of money in the long run. We'll talk to the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW. And welcome back. I'm Martin Strong, and this is Vancouver Consumer. And the 2022 federal budget is coming out on Thursday. And this one is expected to contain maybe some new tax changes. A lot of people are expecting some form of wealth tax to come into effect. So what does that mean to us uh, to talk about that and ways to proactively protect your wealth, no matter what comes down the line, is our friend Paul Lindsay from Macmillan Estate Planning. Uh, MacmillanEstate.com is the website. Paul Lindsay, uh, good to have you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Martin. Always nice to chat with you. Great. So, um, you know, I guess it's kind of a, a, a nerdy thing to be excited about the budget, <laughs> to be counting down the days before the budget. But I guess that's why we're here. We are kind of nerdy about stuff like that. Um, so I, I guess it's a big deal, this budget. Would you say that's true? Yeah, ab- absolutely, Martin. And, and, you know, don't forget that uh, being nerdy is the new cool. So there's nothing wrong with getting excited about this sort of thing. Um, I like that. But... Yeah, it's it's it's. It, I think this is a, a budget that people are more ex, more excited about than maybe they have been previously. Um, I mean, what we're what we're seeing in the industry is that here in Canada and in in a number of other Western countries, there's this this focus on taxing taxing the wealthy, and of right. course, what the the government here and and around the world have is they almost have. Uh, an excuse, or let's let's call it a reason, and that is the, the <laughs> pandemic. Okay. Right. Now, 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 the point is the pandemic means that governments are thinking, okay, well, we've spent like crazy, and now we've got to balance the books. And so, how do we do that? Taxation. What sort of taxation are we thinking about? Well, taxation that usually is uh, is going to affect affect wealthy families, and believe it or not. 75% of Canadians would actually support some kind of tax for wealthy individuals coming into play. Wow, that's that's a lot. That's three quarters of Canadians. I, I thought that was quite a, a startling statistic. Um, I suppose, without doing any, any detailed analysis around it, I suppose it's because it is perhaps that other 25% that actually hold the bulk of the wealth. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's, that's the reason true. they're keeping yeah. quiet. Yeah, so so there is kind of a, a taste out there for some kind of wealth tax. So you you expect this uh, could could very possibly happen. Um, I mean, in terms of the wealth tax, it's definitely on the table. It's been mooted for for quite some time. Uh, I think that the idea of a wealth tax based on those statistics we were just talking about, would be really quite saleable by, you know, by, the, by the government. The only thing I would say is that other countries, primarily I'm, I'm thinking of those in Europe, have tried the, the wealth tax, but they've actually done away with it after that because when it was implemented, it didn't actually generate as much revenue as they thought, and it, be, it was a real pain to have to administer it. However... What we could well see 
would be things like increasing marginal personal tax rates. Um, there's talk of uh, the implementation of a 15% global tax on, on foreign income and obviously just an increase of the general capital gains inclusion rate. Now, that one would be an easy target. Again, it's easy for a government to sell, particularly given that obviously a low capital gains inclusion rate tends to benefit the wealthy. Um, we also have this, this concept of a luxury tax. And I appreciate why. Sadly, it doesn't apply to me, maybe one day, but <laughs> it, it, it applies to vehicles. And if you have the, you know, the benefit of having your own aircraft or a boat, well, you know, that luxury tax is going to be relevant to you. Um, right. but there, there are a number of things on the table right now, Martin. Yeah, so I, I'll put off that yacht purchase that I was going to make, uh, or or maybe not put it off. Maybe do it now, just in case. But well, that's uh, that's, that's a fair point. You know, you're not going to find a, a yacht for love nor money, Martin. <laughs> it's true. Um, so we're, we're we're talking about the budget on Thursday with uh, Paul Lindsay from Macmillan Estate Planning, and uh, and you mentioned some of the things that could happen in the budget that could mean uh, new changes to tax law, to capital gains taxes, things like that, and some of that can get kind of confusing, and that's why uh, Macmillan Macmillan Estate Planning is here. And I should mention you've got some virtual seminars coming up uh, if. If you are kind of uh, wondering about your own uh, estate and uh, where that's headed, uh, this Wednesday, April 6th at 5.30 uh, Pacific time, that's our time. So this Wednesday at 5.30, uh, just go to macmillanestate.com. You can register. And they also have a virtual seminar a week from today, a Saturday, April 9th at 9 a.m. And then Wednesday, April 20th. And uh, that one is at 5.30. The Wednesday one is at 5.30. The one next Saturday is at 9 a.m. And uh, uh, people like Paul uh, will help you uh, sort of make sense of, of what's going on. I mean, uh, the one on Wednesday, I guess, will be the, 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 the Budget Eve uh, <laughs> seminar, uh, but you can get some good ideas. Um, so, uh, it, and it's also, a, a kind of an easy way to, to dip your toe into this because you can do it from home and, uh, just get kind of get an idea of what Macmillan estate planning is all about. Right, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great description of, of, of what it, what it looks like, Martin. I mean, we, 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 look at some of the primary strategies available to Canadians in the context of their estate planning. Uh, we break them down into bite-sized chunks. The idea is, is that if you register for the, for the webinar and you watch it, you will get that high-level view of each of these individual strategies. And if you, if you think, okay, there's some, there's some application to me here, then, of course, we're happy to, to sit down with you, meet with you, uh, virtually and just chat through how some of these things might work inside your estate. Right. So go to macmillanestate.com and that's the Macmillan Estate Planning website. And you can register for that. And we're talking about uh, potential new changes that may affect you in the budget. And uh, a lot of those uh, uh, changes come into effect. But the one question I have is, is when do these changes happen? Do they, do they happen right away? Do they, do they sort of phase them in? Uh, or, or is that still a question mark? 
that's a, a good question, Martin. I mean, I, I think you, within your question, you, you, you <laughs> used the word when. And um, it's, it, it's, it's very much a question of not if some of these changes are going to come in, but as you say, when. Now, obviously, these, these changes will be subject to the, the wording of the budget. And as you say, some of them could be uh, immediate. Some of them could be phased in uh, over time. The, the best advice, if you like, Martin, that I can give is, is really at this point, and I'm not deflecting the question, of course, is, is really just watch this space. You know, let's let's yeah. see what comes from the budget. But there are almost inevitably going to be going to be changes here. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a question that's kind of impossible to answer. But uh, like you say, it's not a question of if, but when. And uh, it's it's uh, interesting. So Thursday is the budget. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, basic tax planning strategies for people. Um, you know, like what are some tax exemptions that you recommend that the typical family make sure they're taking advantage of right now? I, I think the first thing to say there, Martin, is that, yeah, as you mentioned, there are some fairly basic, fairly traditional exemptions. And then there are some more advanced strategies that we have. Now, in terms of the basic exemptions, like most uh, economies, societies, there aren't a huge number available to us in Canada, but some of them that we really should be looking at would include things like the, the primary home exemption. Now, essentially what we're saying there is that if you have a primary residence and you sell it for more than you bought it for, well, you're not going to be taxed on that gain. One thing I would say, and this is a bit of a misconception, particularly amongst the families that we work with who are in, say, their retirement years, is this. They think, well, okay, I've now retired, so somebody at some point in time said to me, I've got to downsize from the, the house that I've lived in for most of my life, and someone somewhere said, I've got to go and buy a condo. Right. Now, obviously, if you want to downsize because maybe looking after that house is becoming a bit of a chore, a bit of a burden, then, then that's absolutely fine. But what we would suggest is this. If you are downsizing, downsize to a property, a smaller property, that is of the same sort of value as your existing home. The point being is that if we keep the value the same, we are keeping that, that sort of tax-free or that, that exemption around the asset in a way that if we downsize, the replacement property is cheaper than the one we were living in, then we've got some cash to invest. Well, all of a sudden, the invested asset is going to be subject to tax, albeit that the, you know, the, the condo won't be. Oh, yeah, I, I see that. So, so basically, yeah, the, the, the fact is you're just you're left with a lot of cash, but that's, it's fully taxable. Exactly. It's not, it's not an asset, which your home would be, that is growing tax-free. I mean, I can, I can summarize it. Quite frankly, if you're thinking of downsizing because you feel that the, you know, the, the upkeep and the maintenance and so on is getting a little bit much, just make sure that rather than buying, say, the ground floor condo, we're looking at the penthouse. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And, then, and that makes it easier, especially for, I guess, your kids too, as well. 
Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, you know, the, the, the value of your principal residence can, can just grow and grow in your lifetime, whatever that residence looks like, and it's tax-free. Um, and, and then beyond that, moving away from, from the real estate portion, and, and for some people, this one's a little bit of a, a drop in the ocean, but make sure that you're fully util, utilizing your tax-free savings account. It might not be, you know, dramatic sums of money, but it all adds up. It, it, it accumulates over time. And again, that is um, an investment account that can attract tax-free growth. Right. And that's the, the thing I tell my kids all the time, because it seems like the, the biggest weapon you have when you're young is time. And uh, when you have time, a tax-free savings account is a great plan to have. Exactly. Absolutely right. And, and, and I suppose similarly, we have your, your, your registered retirement accounts. Now, they are more um, about tax deferral rather than an exemption, because obviously, when you're making deposits during your, your career, typically, you get that tax write-off. It's only when it converts to a RIF that we have to start paying the tax. But we actually have some, some really quite interesting techniques that will help mitigate the amount of tax that's payable on those registered accounts both whilst you're alive and indeed when you when you pass um so so i mean yeah that's the the retirement piece and the last one is obviously if you are a small business owner or you have a farm or agricultural assets you have a pretty generous lifetime capital gains exemption that you can offset uh, against any any gains on the the value of either that farm property or that business, and we're actually talking about numbers around the, the sort of eight hundred eight hundred thousand plus for a, a business, and it's about a million dollars for farming assets. So it's a re- th- those are really valuable. Yeah. And that's just the kind of great advice you get from Macmillan Estate Planning. And if you go to MacmillanEstate.com, you can register for their virtual seminars. And they have one coming up on Wednesday. Uh, it's April 6th at 5.30 Pacific Time. And then there's another one a week from today, Saturday, April 9th at 9 a.m. That'll be post-budget. And then Wednesday, April 20th at 5.30 uh, p.m., our time. And we're talking to Paul Lindsay from Macmillan Estate Planning. And when we come back, I want to get into some of the more complex tax savings uh, strategies that Macmillan Estate Planning has and uh, some some always great advice. Uh, we'll have that when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong, and we are talking to Paul Lindsay from Macmillan Estate Planning. MacmillanEstate.com is the website, and as we mentioned, uh, the the budget is coming up on Thursday, and there's some potential tax changes there, and that's why you really want to get ahead of that situation. And the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning, they understand how all of this works, and they can help you. And a great way to kind of get started is the virtual seminars that they have. They're absolutely free, and there's one this Wednesday, April 6th at 5.30 Pacific time. All you have to do is go to macmillanestate.com and sign up and uh, you can log in from home and uh, it's, it's easy and uh, you don't even have to wear pants, but they recommend you wear <laughs> pants, but uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, it's this Wednesday, April 6th, 530, uh, a week from today, Saturday, April 9th at 9 a.m. on the weekend. 
And that'll be interesting because that'll be just post-budget. And then Wednesday, April 20th, they have one at 5.30. And as I say, MacmillanEstate.com is the website. And Paul Lindsay is with us. And uh, and and I think those those seminars are probably a great way for people who, who aren't even sure if they need the services, uh, estate planning services, they can kind of figure out where they stand and they can get a lot of good information that really, you know, no obligation, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely right, Martin. It's, um, as I mentioned in, you know, sort of historic discussions we've had, the way that the, the, the seminars or the webinars are actually delivered is, such that you you get a a broad idea as to what is available and as you're watching it you can think okay does this apply to me and the one thing i would say is that of course if if there's any any doubt or if if there is any uh, desire to explore that sort of thing in some more detail we will happily have a uh, a, a complimentary initial discussion with you just to you know sort of flesh some of those things out a little bit Right. MacmillanEstate.com is the website. You can also give them a call. 1-833-266-6464. 833-266-6464. Uh, if you want to get involved in those. And before the break, we talked about some, some tax strategies. Uh, you know, some pretty basic ones that uh, everybody should be into. RRSPs, tax-free savings accounts, that kind of thing. But uh, let's talk about some of the more uh, more complex strategies that uh, that Macmillan Estate Planning can help you with. Uh, which ones are those that you recommend for people? Well, I think there's there's three that that, that jump out, Martin, and and the, the the list will include the use of what is called the maximum tax actuarial reserve the application of, a, of an estate freeze, and some, some general or some, some overall charitable giving. Right. Okay, because that's a lot, of, a lot of words. And, and, and now that stuff, like RSPs, I kind of understand, tax receivers account, but maximum tax actuarial, I can't even say it, reserve. So explain that. Well, I was initially, Martin, just to, you know, use you for sport i was going to ask you to repeat it but i won't i won't so but what i what i will do is i'll say it once and then i'll make it easier for for both of us okay. moving forward so 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 this idea the maximum tax actuarial reserve we just refer to it as mtar now uh, what this does is it, it this this actually acts like a giant tax-free savings account and you can use it to shelter up to 25 percent of your net worth so essentially, we can have 25% of your estate growing in your lifetime on a tax-free basis, and it's sort of compounding every year. Now, when you die, that value is able to pass to your, your children, or your, I mean, typically it's the children, but your beneficiaries free of tax. And if you use this strategy inside a company, the value could almost double. The, the, the benefit could almost double because what we're doing is we're, we're, we're removing that, that, that taxation that would be paid on dividends that will allow us to release value that's trapped inside the company. Wow. Now, some of the things we've been talking about already today, Martin, are the, the, or is the, the approach that the, the government will take at this upcoming budget. And this particular strategy, because of its value, particularly particularly for, for high net worth families, makes it something that could be a, also uh, could be attacked by, by the government at this budget. 
Um, I can, if, if you'd like me to, Martin, I can, I've actually got a bit of a case study here that I can bring this to life a little bit more. Yeah, let, let's hear about that. Okay, so uh, a few years back, we, we at Macmillan, we had the privilege to work with this, this wonderful couple who built up a lot of wealth inside their corporation. And the corporation held, it was primarily real estate. Right. Okay, so the family had two kids. Their eldest was a, was a lawyer and was, was very business-minded. She was very keen. She wanted to, to take on this business. But the son, he was a doctor, and he was, he was sort of focused on philanthropy and, and social causes and so forth. He wasn't really bothered about the business. Right. So what we have is the daughter was looking at some point to inherit the business, and the son wanted to use his portion of his inheritance for his charitable works. So mum and dad were very aware of the differences between their, their, their kids' different aspirations, and they were worried that the business could be ripped apart after they passed to cover tax and distributions and things like that. Right. So what we did was we used MTAR to tax shelter 25% of the family's net worth. So that portion of the business is growing tax-free, and because it then doubled in value, because there was no tax being, being paid on, on that, that portion, when mum and dad eventually died, there was enough value in the estate to pay out the brother and keep the business whole so that the daughter could inherit. So in effect, mum and dad were able to meet both of the kids' goals without jeopardizing their life's work. Wow. Thanks to the MTAR. Exactly. Exactly. Now, as I said, it's, it's, it's like so many strategies. It's about looking at how it actually applies inside your estate. But as I've said, you know, that's certainly something we would explore as part of our, our general process. Right. And that's where Macmillan Estate Planning comes into, comes into uh, your, your world and helps you out. Go to MacmillanEstate.com, the website. Sign up for the, uh, the seminars coming up Wednesday at 5.30, then one on next Saturday at 9 a.m., and then Wednesday at 5.30 a week from uh, Wednesday, April 20th. So you mentioned also, along with the MTAR, an estate freeze. What's that? Yeah. N- well... This is the point. Now, an estate freeze is another really useful uh, advanced tax strategy. And, and what it is, is it, it's, it's a means by which a business owner can look to defer the, the capital gains tax on, on, on their business's value by freezing its present value from a tax perspective and then allowing others, usually it's, it's the family, to share in its future growth. Now, what happens is that by quantifying the capital gains liability that's going to be payable when the business owner dies, well, that gives us a number of benefits. Because let's say this business is valued at $10 million. Well, we know that when the owner passes, there's going to be a tax liability of about $2.5 million. So we can put a plan into place to ensure not only that those, are, those taxes are paid um, without disrupting or destroying the business, but we also have an opportunity to eliminate the liability altogether over the remaining lifetime of that business owner, which obviously brings down the, 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 the tax liability even further. What it also does 
is that because we involve family members in this, it sometimes will allow, say, the next generation of a business to get what we call, well, some skin in the game. Because obviously they can then see that any growth or future value is being attributed to them. And that sort of strengthens their ongoing participation in the business, even though the original owner is able to you know, keep that control for their lifetime. Right. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And so where does uh, charitable giving, you mentioned that too, where does that fit in to, the, to all this planning? Well, um, a charitable giving, I mean, there, there are a few different limbs to it, but the way that we, we look at some of the tax work that we do is this, is we say, well, you know, if you sit down with us and you say, yeah, I have two kids, I've got, you know, little Jane and little Johnny, well, actually, in theory, you've got three kids because your third child has, well, not the greatest name ever given to a child, but that third child is called Canada Revenue Agency, <laughs> and, you know, if, if you've got maybe some, some assets in the U.S., well, now you've got four kids. And, you know, that little one is called the IRS. So you've got these four, three or four kids, and they've all got some expectation of getting something from your estate when you die. So, I mean, you can't necessarily just say, well, I'm going to send you away for uh, adoption. But what you can do is effectively you can replace good old Canada Revenue Agency with a cause or charity of your choice. And we see families doing this more and more. It's sort of having that ability to say, okay, if there is going to be tax payable by my estate, would I rather that go to CRA or would I rather, using this charitable credit that comes from, from, um, from philanthropy, uh, can I instead divert that value to a charity or a cause, as I say? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. Sorry, so I, again, if if, um, if if it will be useful, I can I can I have another little tale about about how we've seen that that work. Yeah, sure. We've got about three minutes left, so tell me that story. Okay. So so what happened is is we we worked with a family many years ago, and uh, at that time they were in their seventies and they had these young grandkids, and and we did we did some tax planning, and they decided that a portion of their estate would go to charity. And they wanted this to happen in life, not after they pass, obviously, in their lifetime. Right. So we, we, we set up a foundation with a modest sum of money, and the grandparents said that, right, every Christmas, I'm going to bring all of my grandkids into the office, and we're going to talk about this foundation. We're going to decide which charity or which causes we are going to allocate money out of this charity for. And... What actually happened is it ended up being a bit of a competition between the grandkids, you know, boys against girls, that sort of thing, in terms of, you know, which foundations are we going to support? And it meant that the kids every year were researching charities and uh, bringing these, these to the table. And so what we were actually doing is we were not only reducing a tax liability, but there were more meaningful things that came from this because it, it, it led to a much sort of deeper and closer relationship between grandparents and grandkids. And even after grandparents passed away, this tradition still keeps, keeps going on. And it's, I, I think it's a nice, nice little story because those grandchildren are always going to remember this because it was a, you know, an annual tradition. It was something that was really important to them. But clinically, it also saved the family a fair bit of tax as well. 
Nice. That's a, that's lovely. Well, in the in the minute or so we have left, let's talk about the uh, virtual seminars. People can go to macmillanestate.com uh, Wednesday, this Wednesday, April 6th at 5.30 our time. Uh, a week from today at 9 a.m., Saturday, April 9th, and then Wednesday, April 20th at 5.30. And, uh, Paul, they can go to macmillanestate.com to register. And uh, uh, really quickly, just give me uh, an example of what you will go over in these uh, in these seminars. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bit of a list, but some of the highlights will, will include things like, you know, tax and legal planning, uh, trusts, business succession, uh, asset protection. We, we look at, obviously, there are a number of, of Canadians that have assets in the US and, and how that, that uh, interplay works with some of the other work that we do, uh, the charitable giving that we've talked about, and I suppose what we might just uh, refer to as generational planning as well. So there's, there's quite a lot there. There's quite a lot there. Everything you need to know. Go to macmillanestate.com and sign up for those uh, one or you go or all of them. Uh, Paul, Paul Lindsay from Macmillan Estate Planning. Thanks. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks as ever, Martin. Great. I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, did you see the First Nation celebrations before Wednesday night's Canucks games? Seemed to be a big success, though some Indigenous performers who were asked to appear say they refused because the Canucks were too cheap. I've got that story coming up next. And welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And there's an old joke about a musician asking his dentist to fix his teeth for free in exchange for the exposure. It's something that is often asked of musicians to perform somewhere for little or no money. As the promoter tells them, it'll be worth it for the exposure. Well, now an indigenous artist is speaking out about her decision not to sing the American anthem at the Vancouver Canucks First Nations Night this past Wednesday. Inez Lewis from the Scow Kale First Nation in Fraser Valley uh, is a seasoned performer, six-time Aboriginal People's Choice Music Awards recipient. That's an honor that has just been renamed as the Indigenous Music Awards. In recent years, she shifted priority to her healthcare career, but still performs from time to time. Well, the Vancouver Canucks had asked her to sing the U.S. anthem at its First Nations night, which was this past Wednesday. But when she heard the offer, which was a hundred bucks and two tickets to the game, she was underwhelmed and tried to re- tried to renegotiate. She described the situation as performative reconciliation, saying that she is the descendant of a people who have been oppressed in so many ways. So she says she felt disrespected. And after they didn't respond to any negotiation, she said, no thanks. The Canucks did say they would be making a $20,000 donation to Native Education College on behalf of the Canucks for Kids Fund. But in the meantime, some other Indigenous artists have also taken to social media saying they turned down the team's invitation to perform. Uh, Vancouver Musicians Association president Noah Reitman says as a union leader, he's never supported the idea of artists being offered to perform primarily for the exposure. And while the anthems are typically pretty brief, it only takes a couple of minutes to sing them, uh, it doesn't really line up with the work that actually went into the artist reaching that level of talent and skill. Uh, according to Reitman. The Canucks are not alone, though. It's pretty much a fact that pro sports teams from all the sports are pretty chintzy 
when it comes to paying for performers who aren't the professional athletes on the field. Even at the Super Bowl halftime show, American singers are often paid the union scale, which is way less than what they would make if they were headlining their own show. And as Canadian Actors Equity Association President Scott Bellis puts it, exposure presents a great opportunity, but it doesn't pay the rent or buy groceries. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. Still to come, who are the happiest drivers in Canada? Who are the most frustrated? A new study compares the Canadian cities, and I'll tell you where Vancouver comes in when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.